here in CCF, we've been doing the, the, the topic of knowing God for the last, I don't know, six, seven months. And we've done that. We've finished that. And I hope that um, through that, you have been able to discover who God is and you have experienced His presence and faithfulness in your life to be able to make a difference around you. Starting today, we will start a new series. And similar to CCF Manila, the series is called The Church That Pleases God. Okay, We are the church. We are the body of believers. And of course, the church that pleases God has certain characteristics and traits. And we will learn all of those week after week so that we will be the kind of church that, we, that will please God. Is that okay with you guys? Yes. Right. This morning, we will start with um, talking, about, um, talking about the importance of the family in discipleship because this church is all about discipleship. Okay? Now, here is a picture of a family. And they look very happy, right? Probably because they are from CCF, okay? And uh, as you can see in this, uh, in this uh, family picture, there are three generations, as you can see, right? Three generations. And they all look happy, don't they? But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, okay? The question is this. Let's say that the first generation... The, the, the mother and the father, right, are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And they are Christians, faithful disciples, so to speak. Let me ask you this question. Is it a guarantee that the second and the third will also be faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Right. The answer is absolutely not. And it's even possible that the second generation will look like this. Right? How is that possible? When the first generation looks very happy, victorious, faithful followers of Christ, the second generation will not be the same. How possible is that? You know, it is very possible because that's exactly what happened to the first generation of Christians in the Bible. And I'd like to share that with you, okay? In Judges 2, verse 7, the common English Bible version, okay, the context is like this. The book of Judges, okay, follows right after Joshua. And you know the story of Joshua. Joshua was the leader who, what? Led the people in conquering the promised land, right? They, they defeated all of their enemies and they took over um, the promised land and they started to divide the area according to the 12 tribes. So they were victorious, they divided the area and they were settling in the land flowing with milk and honey, all right? So they were there, they were settled, and this is what happened. The people served the Lord throughout the rest of Joshua's life and throughout the next generation of elders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. You see what happened? So Joshua, and of course Caleb was there. He was much older. He was the first generation, the Exodus generation who didn't make it, right? They settled, and then the younger people who saw the promised land and lived in the promised land, they all served the Lord because what? They had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. I discovered that for you and I to be able to serve the Lord with all of our heart, we have to experience him firsthand and we have to see his great work right in our midst. And you know, here in CCF, I can assure you that I can see a lot of people experiencing and knowing God. And those are the kind of people that will be committed to serve and be faithful to the Lord. That's the generation of Joshua and those people. But 
the problem started, you know, in verse 10 of the same book, Judge, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And when the whole generation had passed away, another generation came after them who did not know the Lord or the things he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did things that the Lord saw as evil. What did they do? They served Baal. Do, real, do you realize, guys, how quickly, you know, a generation can be lost? You know, just how, e you know, I realize that, you know, the, the generation following will not necessarily believe what the generation before believed, right? My question is, can this happen in this present day too, you think? Right? Can this happen in this present day? You know, as a matter of fact, it is. And it's worsening. And the point I'm trying to make is this. Christianity is in danger. Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Did you hear me? Christianity is in danger, and it's one generation away from extinction. What's the proof? Take a look at Northern Europe. Northern Europe, of course, was, uh, these are the flags of Northern Europe, okay? Um, most of them, uh, I, just, I just got a picture. But you see, the maps or the flags of, of Northern Europe had crosses, you know? Have, they, have, they all have cross, signifying what? They became Christians. Christianity came from the Middle East, it moved to Europe, and all of these countries became Christians. What happened? They prospered. They were blessed. But where is Christianity in Europe today? If you go to Europe now, what will, what will you see? What will you see to the churches in Europe? They're all museums, right? Our brother and our sister Romy will, uh, sister uh, Susan and Romy will go to Europe next month. So we'll ask them to take pictures, okay, of the museums. What, what am I trying to say? Christianity started very strong, right? It tried, but the next generation did not pick it up. That's why what we see in Europe today, what is dead Christianity? And let me, let me, let me hasten to add that that's exactly what's happening to America today. Believe it or not, right? Believe it or not. That's why here in CCF, we're committed to discipleship. Christianity is just one generation away from extinction unless children are discipled or parented well to do the same to their children. And that's what we're talking about here. This morning, we will talk about discipleship begins at home. Okay, so I would like you to tell the person next to you, hey, discipleship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. What is discipleship? CCF LA is all about discipleship. And I'd like to ask George. Okay, since George is not here, where's Peter? Peter, what is discipleship? Okay. See, he's just laughing, okay? That's, that's, that, that tells you how effective we are as teachers, okay? I think I should put another fishbowl here for money to drop, okay? So that the 57,000 will become 100,000 for all of us here. Discipleship. What CCF is all about? Discipleship. What is discipleship? Peter? No, okay. This is discipleship. Discipleship is not overnight. Discipleship, as we have been pounding over and over again, 
is the process of what? Bridging people to Jesus Christ, meaning evangelism, make them believe that's what's going to happen on September 28th with the young people, by the way. They're going to bridge the young people so that they will know Jesus Christ. And then what? We don't stop there. We have to build them up to grow in faith so that they become more and more like Jesus. Right? And when that happens, they will multiply. And God is glorified. That is discipleship. Right? So, when we say that discipleship begins at home, what do we do? We make sure that the people living at home are discipling. And of course, since the leaders of the home are the parents, the mother, the father, I'm looking at you right now, those of you who are parents and you're living home, it is your responsibility to start discipleship at home. And discipleship means you have to make sure that those people living within your roof know Jesus, share the gospel with them, and once they know Jesus, you will make them grow in the faith so that they can become Christ-like. If we do that, we have a big chance of continuing to make the second and the third generation to live the same faith as we do. If we fail, then we know what's going to happen. Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Discipleship begins at home. And discipleship is actually biblical parenting that begins at home. Parenting is connecting people to God, and that responsibility is given to parents, particularly the fathers. If you're a father, can you please raise your hand? Wow, there are fathers here, okay? And, you know, yeah, parenting, of course, is about the mother and the father influencing and connecting the people, the children, to God. It is the responsibility of mother and father. But you know what? God centered it, focused it on the father more than the mother. You know why? Because the mother is naturally inclined I guess by default to take care of the children, right? Especially in the Philippines, very matriarchal society, so they say. You know, it's always the mother who takes care of the children by default because, you know, they give birth, they take care of it, and they're there most of the time. Whereas the father, what happens? They're working, and they have this false concept, okay, that, of course, the enemy is exploiting to tell fathers that what? Hey, your job is just to provide, okay, food, clothing, and shelter. After that, you've done your job. What a lie. That's not true. That's the reason why God is directing this command to the fathers. At the same time, of course, the mother is being addressed, because you're the parent, to be able to help the father precisely to be able to do what God wants to do. So, if you're a parent and you connect Okay, your children to the Lord by making sure that they understand your faith. What do you do? You disciple them. What, what do you do to disciple them? You make them grow in Christ-likeness by teaching them to obey all that God has commanded them. Right? God has commanded all of us some, some things that we need to obey. But the children, they were, there are also commands that they need to obey. 
And as parents, we need to be able to know those and encourage them to obey all that God has told them. One command very specifically is this. Okay? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right? I mean, of course, like I said, it was directed to the father because the father needs a good reminder. But effectively, it's called parents. But for this purpose, God is very specific. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And I, you know, God is, God is just so amazing. And I'm, I'm just so happy that God wrote the Bible. And it's so accurate. You know, he did not forget that phrase, do not provoke your children to anger. It could, have, it could have said, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? You know? Because that's the most important thing. You disciple your children. But you know, why do you think God added that? For a reason. And I'll come to that later. Alright? But the command is this. Bring up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What commands? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Right? And so... The specific command basically, of course, is you know, related to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which is the Great Commission. Our job as parents, fathers particularly, is to see to it that the children are connected to God and eventually to be able to obey everything that God has commanded them. Why? Why is that very important? Because discipleship begins at home. If the home is discipled properly, then Christianity has a chance of going and going through the generations. This is the command that fathers, parents would like us to remind the children and we're committed to do. So if you are, if you are a children living with your parents, okay, this is for you. But of course, your parents are given the responsibility to be able to teach you this by example. Children, obey your parents. Why don't we ask the children to read this? Children, why don't we all read this? Okay, Children, if you're a child, if you're living with your parents, live this. I uh, read this. Children? You know, many children, if you ask them to do this, they will hesitate. You know why? Because, you know, my parents are not worth respecting and obeying. My parents are not perfect. I don't like my parents even. You see, you see, folks, children, God gave you this command for a reason. Your parents may not be perfect. I think there are some examples of perfect parents here, right? Uh, June, you are perfect, right? You know? Larry, you're perfect, right? You know? No, no, you see, there are no perfect parents. And f children, you know, please do not concentrate on the imperfection of your parents, but rather concentrate on who is giving the command. Your parents are not the one giving the command. It is God who's giving the command. And the command is very simple. It says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then, and then he added another word. He said, honor. Honor your father. Honor your father and your mother, which is the commandment with a promise. You know, children, look at this. It's a command with a promise. What is the promise? So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. You know, it, 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 it's, it's just so encouraging to see 
for example, my, my in-laws are not here. My, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law are like 85 years old. Right, honey? 85. 85 and 80. And you know, I said, wow, this, these people are very strong and they, they, they live long. And I, it's not surprising that I think my father-in-law did something right. And they probably honored their parents. They respected their parents and that's why they're living a long life because that's the promise of God. And I would like to encourage you children, you, however imperfect your, your parents are, God is asking you to honor them. Honor means what? Respect them. Do what's right. Do, give them a favor. What's an example of, of, of honoring your parents? You know, say I love you to them. When was the last time you say I love you to your mother and the father? Kids, look at me. You know, did you, do you ever say, uh, drop a note to your dad, God, thank you for, 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 being, for taking care of me and I really appreciate you? You know, not only will that make your parents feel well, but you know what? It will honor God and God promises that it will be well with you and you will live long on earth. But like I said, in spite of the fact that your parents are not perfect, and believe me, if you know who's commanding it, you will do it. You know, and what's another way of respecting and honoring your parents? Give them money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the time when I'm going to approach Dion and say, Dion, I need money. And then Dion will not hesitate and pull out so much money and give it to me. All right? Children, I love you. Give money to your parents, okay? Hmm. You see, the father and the parents are very important. And that's the reason why God really addressed them. I would like to show you how important the parents or the father is by showing you an example, a bad example of parenting, okay? And it is an example of no discipleship of parenting at home. What's our topic for today? Discipleship begins at home. Okay? Parents, especially fathers, are supposed to teach these people to obey all that God has commanded them. Right? And that will require presence and living by example. And, you know, children, no matter how your parents behave, nonetheless, God is telling you to obey them and honor them because there is a reward that follows. You know, you just don't say, I'm not going to obey my parents because my parents are really bad. You know, don't do that, please. Bet between you and God. And my prayer is that this message will speak to you. And I'm speaking to the fathers here. Here's a bad example of parenting. In fact, the absence of biblical parenting at home. And I would like you to take note. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. The two sons of Eli. Who's Eli? Eli is a priest. The priest in the time of Samuel. Right? In fact, you know, he has two sons. His sons were what? Hophni and Phinehas. And they were also what? Priests. Wow. At first glance, it looks right. Right, Medwin? Look at this dad. He's a priest. He was able to influence his children to become priests too. You know, many times we mistake parenting as simply teaching our children to follow our careers. You know, if you're a doctor, you want your children to become doctors. If you want, if you're, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? 
And I, you know, at, at first glance, this looks right. And, you know, I would like to tell you that parenting is beyond career, skill, teaching your, your children to become this and that. It's beyond it. Obviously, of course, Eli succeeded in making their children, his children, priests. But look at what happens. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless. Men, they did, men did, did not know the Lord. And their sin is this. The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Can you imagine this priest? They were worthless. How is that possible? You know, it's possible because Eli did not show them how. They simply caught the career, but they did not catch the behavior. And I added there this important point. It is important that how you live will tell others you are a Christian. But more than that, your own children will know that you love Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, many times we are so concerned about how we look about other people. But, you know, that's important, yes. But what's more important is how your children look at you when you're at home. That, to me, is more important. That's why discipleship is very important, and it begins at home. Believe me, you cannot tell lie to your children. Your children will know. You can behave however you like. You can impress a lot of people, but when the moment you get home and you're not doing as you say or saying as you do, they will know. And that's the reason why they will, not, they will even give up their faith because of your own behavior. Look at Eli. Bad example. Eli was very old. He heard that his sons were doing, he heard that all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Wow. How effective is this man, Henry? Huh? Not effective at all, right? I mean, it's just like you telling your children to do this and to do that because you're doing the wrong things and you have to do something right. And, you know, they turn around and say, yeah, right. All right? That's exactly what happened to him. Eli was very old. Apparently, he was physically present but was never there spiritually, emotionally at the time when the children needed him the most. He was reactive but not proactive. He was not really discipling their children, his children very well. And as a result, the children grew up to be priests, but bad priests. And that's not what we are talking about here. It is important, it's important that you live, your life will tell your children that you love Jesus and that you know Jesus. And you know what happened? Um, because of the sin of Eli, right, God gave a curse to his family line. And it says in 1 Samuel 3, 12 to 13, In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Biblical parenting is not just about rebuking and telling people do this and do that. It's beyond that. Apparently, Eli did not do it right. And that's why we're sharing with you an example, a bad example of bad parenting at home. And it's our responsibility as your leaders now, concerned about discipleship, to teach you how to disciple. And of course, it was a bad example, and, um, and that's the reason why um, God made it 
You know, when God promises something, He will make sure it happens. He cursed the line of Eli so that the, Eli, the line of Eli will never, ever become priest again. That's why He used Solomon. Solomon dismissed Abiatar. Abiatar descended from Eli, from the line, and he, he dismissed Abiatar from being priest to the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. This was hundreds of years later. I simply would like to show you the critical role of the fathers, the parents in parenting. Because parents, fathers, if you do not do what we're asked to do in discipling our children, this will have a negative effect to the second, to the third, and even to the generations forthcoming. The ripple effect, so to speak. And you know, uh, there was a recent study, in fact, done in Switzerland on the importance and the, the influence of the father. And I would like to share this with you because this is really, wow, amazing. Look at this study. It was a CIS study, Swiss study, demographic study that shows how critical the role of the father is. And the study showed the following findings. And it's, it's really amazing. It says, if both father and mother are believers and practice their faith, Okay, both parents are practicing their faith. The likelihood of their children continuing in their faith is what? 33%. Not high, but good enough. Okay? Aren't you surprised? Uh, don't, don't, you know, I'm not surprised now why, why Christianity is just one generation away. You know, this, this started ever since, and every year it just keeps on declining. The number of people, children being converted to Christianity is getting lesser and lesser because of what? We parents are not doing our job. The fathers have been neutralized effectively by the enemy. And as a result of that, we are losing to the enemy. And then, look what happened. In the same research, if a mother is the only believer, woo, and the father is not, the likelihood of their children continuing in their faith drops down to 3%. This is, a, this is a study, right? You know, you know, that, that shocked me. I said, I thought the mother had a lot of influence. The, the point this study simply shows is, fathers, you play a key role. Alex, you play a key role. Alex, you play a key role. Okay, I have, I have so many Alex here, okay? You play key roles. And mothers, as good as you are, okay, children are looking up to the father when it comes to the faith. And that's how important this study is. And look at the next point. But if the father is the only one, is the only believer, and the mother is not, the percentage amazingly rises to 38%. Yes, wow. Because that tells you, not that the fathers are special. No. I think that's the reason why God is directing the command. Father, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Research indicate that. I would like to show you a movie, okay? Not a movie, but a clip. <laughs> because if it's a movie, then we're not going to be finished, okay? Um, I can play it now, right, Pastor Song? Okay. Oops. What happened? This one? Yes, sorry.
Why do you think at CCF we're concentrating on the young people? The young people, these young people right here, people around, they are the future of the church. And if we don't concentrate on them, Christianity will be dead in a matter of one generation. Who's discipling them now? Who's discipling them now? The social media. The world is discipling them. The school is discipling them. And you know what? There are, there's, there are studies upon study which show what kind of children, what kind of young adults we have today. No offense meant to the young people. Not their fault. It is because of the reality of the world today that has changed. They are bombarded with things that are coming from the world and technology. And as a result, the world is discipling our children. Yes or no? And we give them tools to help the world disciple our children. And you know what? The research indicates that these are the kind of children we have today. This is a Barnary Church which, which talks about the IY generation. Why do they call IY generation? iPod, internet, iTunes. What else? I only know three. Huh? A1, okay. You know, they know a lot. Uh, they, 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 they are so bombarded with information and they know much, much more. You know, I'm renovating my house today because I'm moving from West Covina to Alhambra. And, you know, every day I am faced with a very young 10-year-old boy who knows much more than me, right? And every time he asks me a question, I'm embarrassed because I cannot answer him. And he knows a lot. He's very intelligent. And you know what? Sadly... As smart as they are, this is the way the research described them. Number one, they are artificially mature. Young people, you know a lot. But you know, 
you are mature artificially. What, what does this mean? Artificially mature. They know, they are very, you, you know a lot, but your EQ is still low. You need to be exposed to the reality of the world. You, you know a lot and you desire a lot, but you don't like the responsibility that goes with it. Okay? You know, I deserve to do this because I know this and I know that. But you know what? You know, if something happens, I'm going to leave that to take care of my mess. That's the kind of young people that we have today. They are artificially mature. Um, they, they need to learn how to face rejection and they need to know how to face disappointment. And parents, it's our responsibility to be able to teach them that because we are experts in those areas, aren't we? And we need to protect them. And then they, they live in a virtual world. What's a virtual world? Fantasy or a dream world. They don't live in reality because they're in that computer most of the time, right? Right? Right, Emilio? Okay, where's Emilio, right? Right? They're in that computer most of the time and they're playing games and they don't know what's going on around them. They have the world of their own. They can survive 24 hours without even eating because they are, con 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 you know, they are consumed by that. All computer world, all superficial relationships, and Facebook, okay? Praise God for my wife. He stopped his Facebook, but he's looking at mine, okay? <laughs> but, you know, she understands how much time it, it gets, okay? And then they have what you call this entitlement mentality. Because of what's going on around them, you know, because probably of what's going on in school, right? You know, I, 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 I know of a family who, who told me that, you know, since they came to America, okay, their children changed, right? Because America is one country where, you know, freedom is offered, okay? And they teach that at school. And as a result, the children develop this entitlement mentality. You know, there are many good things that the, the school system offers. But because of the lack of counter efforts on the part of the parents, we let the school system dominate that. And as a result, they develop this entitlement mentality. You know, they, they, they grow up spoiled, you know, uh, because we parents sometimes do not have the time to take care of them. What do we do? We spoil them. We just give them what they want so that they keep quiet and they do, and they, they enjoy what they're doing. And as a result, without us knowing it, we create in them a mentality which, which you call entitlement. I deserve this, I deserve this, and I deserve this. You know what? And the school system or whatever is also promoting it. You know, today, for example, if you just join a, a, a club, okay, you're given a medal for it, right? I mean, you know, small achievements, you're rewarded, right? Unlike our time, before you can get a medal, boy, you really have to work hard. You know, for you to be able to get a trophy, you have to win. Today, it's so easy. Why? Because they're trying to make the person, the young children feel so good and entitled. And as a result, we are seeing these consequences. And it's good, but we need to counter that with something positive, right? And their, their values are blurred. They no longer know clearly what is right from what is wrong, right? And in fact, there is a study. It's an old study in the Philippines Right? Uh, I don't have the, the, the study here in, the, in America, but I'm sure okay, the numbers will pretty, come, pretty much come closer or even worse because of, the, because of the freedom that most people have here in America. The study in, two, is two, in 2006, it's old, 
But believe me, if we conduct the same research today, it's probably going to be worse. When I say blurred values, you know, look at casual sex. It's okay as far as the young people is concerned. Premarital sex, 50% say it's okay. Abortion, 55% say they're okay. Prostitution, <laughs> imagine prostitution among young people, 55% say they're okay. Getting drunk, 60% say they're okay. Homosexuality, 60% they're okay. What's going on here? Right? We're like Eli's already in the true sense of the word because we are physically there, but we are no longer present when it comes to telling our children what the right values are. Okay? Because we have been also overcome by the system. And it's good for us to be reminded today that discipleship begins at home. And if we do not do our job, we're going to lose a generation. Did you see those children saying, you're going to lose us. You're going to lose us. Do something, please. You're going to lose us. And I'm appealing to us, parents, especially the fathers. And I'm looking at you fathers because God has put on our shoulders squarely the responsibility. The mothers are there to help us, yes. But squarely, discipleship must begin at home and it should begin with the father doing the responsibility of leading what needs to be done. Men, Charles, Charles Wadsworth said, by the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. Can you imagine that? You know, so fathers, please, you know, realize the importance of your job. Don't get discouraged. Please remember, our wives are behind us. Our children like us to succeed. They want us to be able to do the good things for them so that they can do the same thing for their children. It's sad, isn't it? That's why God is reminding us, discipleship begins at home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know what? We can become effective disciples. We can bring them up to the discipline and instruction of the Lord if we zero in on this phrase which says, do not provoke them to anger. Parents, as I look at you right now, okay, I know this is not easy, but God is reminding us we need to bring them up. But please do it the right way. I made the same big mistake in my life. I am sharing with you that I am an Eli also when my children were growing up. I realized it, I repented, and I'm paying the price. God has allowed me to recover because I was an expert in provoking my children to anger. I was an expert in exasperating my children. I'm a corporate guy. I exasperate the people under me. <laughs> I give them a hard time so that they'll be successful. And I succeeded in my own career. I became very successful, but with a price. My people developed their skills and they grew up in the ranks, but I applied the same principles to my wife and to my children. And it was a big mistake because nobody taught me. I exasperated them big time because my standards were high and I wanted them to be like me so that they meet their standards. And you know what, parents? If you're starting a family right now and your children are, right, are, are, are in the right age for you to be dis to, to discipling them, do the right thing. Do not exasperate them. Do not provoke or exasperate your children. For example, what do you do? What is exasperation? If you're always angry and you're always shouting at your children, that's exasperating them. I did that many times. 
And fathers, if you're still doing that, I beg you, you're not going to disciple them well if you do it, even if you think you're right. Because the Bible says, anger and shouting is exasperating your children. The children are very happy. Go, go, pastor, go, pastor. Come on, come on, tell them, okay? Right. I'm not done with you yet. Okay, I'm going to go back to you. Mm. Okay. Careless words. You know, how easy it is for us parents to say careless words to your children. Right? You are good for nothing. You know, it's a good thing that you should not have been born. Can you imagine parents saying that to their children? Careless, useless painful words. Don't ever say that. Because God the Father himself said it to his son. Jesus, you are my son and you I am pleased. And yet here we are as physical parents, we tell our kids, Anong nangyari sa'yo? What happened to you? Dapat nagmana ka sa akin. Sa nanay mo pa nagmana ka. Yang nanay mong yan? Okay. Uh, can you please translate that to the person next to you? Okay. Okay. Uh, Dennis, can you translate that to her? Okay. Yung nanay mong yan? Okay. See? Not only are you saying careless words to your children, but you're also saying careless words to your spouse and putting them down. Fathers, look at me. I am guilty. Don't make the same mistake. Unreasonable. How can you be unreasonable? Okay. Oh, going to the party again? You just went to the party last year. You gotta be kidding me. Right? Okay, I will let you go to the party now. But be home at 8. <laughs> Dad, our party started at 12. Pastor in huh? See? Don't be unreasonable. You know, find out their world and be friends with them and understand what they're living through so that they will know that you understand them. If you're unreasonable, believe me, they would not want to believe what you believe. They will give up their faith as soon as they leave your house. But if we do not exasperate them, if we do not provoke them, we love them and develop a relationship with them, we will make an impact. Not listening. Oh, you're so busy watching television. You're so busy with your work. Not now, not now, not now, not now. Not now, not now. Okay? You know? Are you guilty of that? Unfulfilled promises. Whew. I'm not guilty of this because I had plenty of money. Okay? I gave everything to my kids. I'm oh, just joking. Okay? You know, there was this, this, there was this executive who was promoted and he was being promoted to move from Florida to New York by his company, a uh, higher position. And his boss told him that we're promoting you and we will move you here because we like what you're doing. But this, this executive said, no, I'm not accepting the job because I don't want to be taken away from my family. I want to spend time with my family and I want to stay in Florida. And the executive, the one who's offering the job was shocked and he said, why? You know, because I, my family is my priority. And then it occurred to him, to this executive who was offering the job, that he promised to go fishing with his son 20 years ago, and he never fulfilled it. Folks, it sticks. Children, remember what we promise. 
And if we fail to do what we promise, we are exasperating and provoking them. Hypocrisy. You know what this is. You behave so well when it, when, when it comes to other people. I am guilty of that. I don't know why with friends we are so good. Right, June? With our friends, we are so gentle and speaking. We, we want to make sure that you know, we please them. But when it comes to the family, oh no! That's hypocrisy. And you know, we are so guilty of that. I am guilty of that and I repented of that. And in front of my kids, I ask for your forgiveness. Denise, Dion, forgive me if I acted that way. My son, Dino, is not here, but he was the one who suffered the most of my hypocrisy. And I'm paying the price. And don't allow that to happen to you. So I ask you, fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children. Favoritism. Henry, who's your favorite? <laughs> That's what she thinks. <sighs> you know, if you keep on provoking your children, you can lose them. You know, children were asking their mom, Mom, we want a pet. We want a hamster for a pet. And, of course, the mom agreed to have a pet for the kids, and the mom bought a hamster and named the pet Danny. <laughs> okay, so uh, the kids promised to take care of their pet, and indeed they called him Danny. And the mom agreed to buy it only if they take care of the pet. But two months after taking care of, 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 of the pet, I'm sorry, two months after, the mom was the one taking care of Danny most of the time. And one day the mom said, enough is enough. Danny would have to be given to a new owner. So he called the kids together to tell them that plan. Enough is enough. And the first kid said, I'll miss him. He's been around here a long time. And then the other kid said, maybe, maybe he could stay if he ate less and wasn't so messy. And then the mom said, he was firm, it's time to take Danny to a new home. And then the kid said, Danny? The kids wailed, we thought you said daddy. <laughs> so guys, if you keep on provoking your children, you will be sent to another owner. And this morning, I would like to ask someone to share. I will have two sharers today. First, I'm going to ask Larry to come up here and share something with us. Larry is from Manila. He's here on vacation. But here is a father who will share with us example of bad fatherhood. Oh, sorry. That's really true. Um, well, I bring you greetings from uh, our home church in Manila. It's really a joy to be here, especially to touch base with our dear brothers, Danny and Insong, they're really like brothers to me, like family. So today, anyway, I grew up in a family where my, my father, I call him Tatai, is really the absolute authority in the home. What he says goes, you cannot question him, you cannot reason out. So if I wanted to make an appeal, I appeal to my mom, Sinai. So I tell her what I want and somehow hope that uh, 
she'll be able to make a way for my dad not to know what I'm doing or just changes his mind. <laughs> you know, doing what I mean in our days. So I really did not find fun or joy in the home because I was so restricted, so restrained. So most of the time I was out with my friends. So I learned about the ways of the world through my friends doing foolish things. And uh, when I eventually became a father myself, I did the same thing. I was the absolute authority. I would exasperate my children. So I disobeyed my parents most of the time and it did not go well with me. And one, day, one, one time, one day, somebody shared with me about Jesus. And uh, it became really very interesting. I read the Bible and I learned that Jesus died and paid for my sins. And somehow by God's grace, my life was transformed. And from what I have learned, I wanted my children, my family to also know what I, I learned about Jesus. But uh, I, I, my ways were like my dad, I, I forced what I learned uh, for them. I asked them to attend Bible studies, to go to Sunday school. So I was not very effective. One time I was teaching my children about uh, some lessons in the Bible and you know, later on, my daughter told me, Dad, you know what you're doing? When you are teaching the Bible, you're like scolding us. <laughs> so, so I said, is that right? Uh, yeah, it's just like, you're like, parang pinapagalitan mo kami parati. So I was thinking, what can I do? I, I prayed. I said, Lord, I, I cannot change my children. Just like what you did to me for who I am, would you, would you also change my children? But uh, it was really a, a long time before I learned that. God said, for your children to really learn, you must humble yourself. So one time I approached him and I said, look, I want to be a good father. I want to be effective. Will you tell me what I should do, what, what things that I should change in my life? It was really very difficult because I am really a, a very proud man. It's difficult to tell, to hear people tell you, especially your children, that there's something wrong with you. But I said, come on, tell me what's wrong with me. And for a long, for a few minutes they were silent and then somebody was bold enough to speak. One of my, I think my, my daughter, she said almost to a whisper, I said, Dad, you know, you, you really do not trust us. When we ask you something, you always think you are always right and we are wrong. Will you give us a chance? I said, okay, and sometimes you don't do what you say. You don't, like what it's Danny said, you don't uh, really do things that you promised. And so, although it was very difficult, I said, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And I, and after that, you know, when you say sorry, it was not the ways of my family in my family to to say sorry. But 
later on, all of us learn how to say sorry, and please forgive me. My wife is here. And I hurt her so much. Emotionally, emotionally, physically, I really hurt her. And before you and before God, I ask her forgiveness. I hurt my children. But somehow, by the grace of God, my children and I, we are walking with the Lord. We are not perfect, but uh, it's a process. We now enjoy each other's company. We have fun in the house. We study the Bible together. And uh, because my wife was really hurt, she decided to stay away from us because I deprived her of the joy of being a mother with the children. She came here many years ago to live by her own. But by God's grace, God touched her heart. One day she said, Nari, I want to come home and be with the family. This is the first time I'm, I'm, I'm announcing it before a pub, the public. My wife is coming home. It's really by the grace of God, our faithful God. And uh, I, do, I really do not understand how God will save me. I'm the man that I am. So I was telling friends and families who have problems in the family, I said, you know, go down on your knees and pray, and God will really do the rest. So God bless you, and thank you for everything. May all, all this... All of glory and praise be to God. Yeah. We will pray for them. We will pray for them later. But, you know, God is really amazing. It all starts with the father, the parents, and the rest will follow. Another sharer, just to let you know that God is really moving in our midst to make discipleship begin at home. I'd like to call on Alex and Bonnet to share. Good morning. I'm Alex VR and this is my wife Bonnet. We are, thank you. We are the parents of Isabella, 11, Christina, 7, and Samantha, 6. Growing up uh, with four younger siblings and because of how we were brought up, I had always thought that I would do well in raising my own children. But then when our Isabella was born, I realized that the basic needs, her basic needs, roof over her head, food for nourishment, and clothes to wear, would not be enough to consider myself as a good parent. How do we want to influence our children? What seeds will we plant in their lives? Will we just wing it like maybe how our parents did it to us? How will we know we are doing it right? What is our gauge? One thing for sure, we wanted to do it better. 
Um, we had been struggling with some discipline issues with the girls at home. Um, don't get me wrong, our three girls, for the most part, are good and easy kids. However, there were two main battlegrounds for us, their constant bickering and having to repeat ourselves several times to get them to do something. I read a lot of Christian parenting books. I even attended the popular MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, support group for six years at our former church. Timeouts, loss of privileges, and worst of all, yelling and screaming were not working. We were baffled because we knew the girls were so well behaved at school, but why not at home? Then, the parenting class by Peter Tanchi was presented to our D group. Session three, titled Biblical Discipline, got me really excited. I needed it badly because the girls were on their summer break and being home with them 24 seven was really getting to be a challenge. I asked Alex if we could practice the discipline principles that week, but to my dismay, he said, for us to apply first the lessons we learned in sessions one and two, which included spending time with the children, us listening more to them, and filling their love tanks. I was disappointed with this response because kating katina hong malo. I wanted to tell, tell him, you know, I'm the one at home with them and I needed this to happen now. But I did not contest. I submitted to my husband's authority. So for the next two weeks, I spent more time with the girls individually and together, playing card games, swimming, baking, watching their favorite shows with them. Alex did the same whenever he got home from work. You know, those two weeks reminded me of how much we really enjoyed being with our girls. In the past years, I used to long for the school year to start, but this time I was sad because I would miss them when they went back to school. Um, several weeks after, while we were at the McDonald's, I just had the sudden urge to ask for forgiveness from the girls, which was covered in session five titled, Restoring Your Relationship with Your Children. I just started sobbing and I apologized to them for all the yelling and spanking and pinching and anger. You know, the girls probably thought I was just going cray-cray, but all they probably wanted to do was enjoy their ice cream Seriously, they're all like, Mom, what's going on? <laughs> but they graciously forgave me. Um, in these classes, I, I learned that lecturing our kids were not enough. Our words needed to be backed up, supported, and matched um, with our examples. Whether we are conscious of it or not, accepted or not, our parenting, good and bad, has lasting consequences. This is one of the things that made me rethink my ways of parenting. I now always wonder and consider how God wants us to parent our children. Now, our children are aware of their roles, and they know that they are not just obeying us and doing things to please us, but to please God. And it not, it's not just them. It applies to us, too. God gave us the responsibility of bringing up his children in this world, so we are accountable to him. The parenting classes do not just teach us how to train our kids to grow up to be God-loving, Christ-like people, but they guide us on how to be God-loving and Christ-like people while training our children. We went into this parenting series thinking how it would change our children. Little did we know that we were the ones that needed to be changed first. Since we started practicing what we have learned, we have observed positive changes in our family. There's definitely less yelling, yelling and less giving instructions several times before getting followed. 
There are, of course, moments of tension still, but we find ourselves more relaxed than before. We realize we still have a long way to go before our children become adults, for which we are grateful since it meant more chances for us to better ourselves as parents. We praise God that we have been given a guide to raise our kids biblically, His way. Uh, Ephesians 3.20 reads, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Wow. God is amazing, isn't it? You know, we can lose the generation quickly. But if discipleship or biblical parenting starts at home, we may be able to get them and have a wonderful time with our children. It all starts by saying, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Many times, that's the most difficult for us to do, parents. And that's all it takes. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Give me a chance. God is the archetypal father, and all other fatherhood is more or less imperfect copy of his perfect fatherhood. I would like to show one last video. For the sake of time, I will just play this quickly because this is what fatherhood is all about. หนูอยากได้พ่อที่ดีกว่านี้พ่อที่ไม่เป็นใบพ่อที่เหมือนคนอื่นที่ได้ยินในสิ่งที่หนูอยากบอกพ่อที่พูดได้แล้วก็เข้าใจหนูได Don't let anything happen to my daughter. I have money. I have a house. Take it all. My daughter cannot die. Eat more, dear. It helps you grow. Be good at school. It's my kid's birthday today. Happy birthday! Always be happy, glad dad. I was born a deaf and mute. I'm sorry for that. I can't speak like other fathers. But I want you to know that I love you with all my heart. 
take my blood. Father will always love perfectly. We have to make you laugh. It's an insurance. I'm an agent of that insurance. Just kidding. You know, there are no perfect fathers. There are no perfect fathers, but they love perfectly. Fathers, parents, I laid a challenge to you. We keep sending our kids to school, but the school will not disciple them. In fact, it is the school that will teach them the wrong things. I learned the bad things from my bargada in school. You agree with me that we, our children learn all of those bad things. Where did they learn how to smoke? Where did they learn how to drink? Where did they learn how to, to lie? Where did they learn how to uh, have, you know, premarital sex in school? We did not teach them that. And yet parents, we send them there year after year. And when they come home, we expect to influence them by not being there. That's not going to happen. That's why discipleship begins at home. And you know, that's why our focus is on the young people. And the only way we can focus on the young people is for you parents to have the burden of doing it yourself. You know, I'm amazed at what Larry said. His son is going to move back to the Philippines because his son, the children, are now going high school. <laughs> And he doesn't like his grandchildren to go through the U.S. system. You know, seriously. The world system is flawed. And we can do something about it. And I'm not surprised why CCF is starting his own school. And you know, Teacher Pao? Just maybe. Just maybe a CCF LA. A school where people, where children will be taught the right values. And correct all of the things that are wrong. Pray for it. Pray for it because that's the only chance we have to be able to impact the next generation. Our father is perfect. If we are his children, by his grace, we can do what's needed to be the kind of example that will love our children perfectly, not as perfect people, but love them perfectly. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the strong message you're giving us today. Father, help us not to take this for granted and to see what's going on around us as parents and even as children. Lord, civilization, Christian civilization is about to go and we feel helpless. But we thank you 
that you've given us the hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so, Father, before anything else, before we promise anything that we would like to do with our family, with our lives, we would like to examine ourselves and take a look at deep within us if we truly have the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives. If we really belong to you, if we really are your children, I'd like to take this opportunity to examine myself and also allow you to examine yourself, church. Take a hard look at your life, your family, and what's going on. If you think that there is a need for you to change and your family to change, get down on your knees and pray to the Lord. Tell Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Maybe this is the only thing that Jesus is waiting for. For you to surrender, to repent, and to admit that you cannot do anything before this world. On your own. But you need Jesus to change you. To eventually become the kind of parents, the kind of father, the kind of mother that will teach their children the right things, disciple them in the ways of the Lord so that they will become Christ-like in their ways. Take a few moments to say, Lord Jesus, I can't do it, I need you. Come into my life. I'm not, I'm doing this again because I'm not sure I am saved and that's why I want to do it. I wanna do it right now. I examine myself and I want to change and I wanna change my family. Would you, Lord, accept me as your child? I want to be part of your kingdom so that I will be the kind of father just like you, perfect. Not perfect in my being, but perfect in my love for my children. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Make me the kind of father or mother that you want me to be. And if you're here as a child, a children, and you are faced with a situation where your fathers and your mothers have not been perfect. Forgive them. Honor them just the same. And believe in your heart that God will be the one to change you so that you can be, kind, be the kind of father or mother in the future that you will be who will disciple your children. You need Jesus too. You need God too. Lord, we just pray for all of us. We pray that we need you. We pray that we would like to make a difference in our own family. Lord, just focus on our family to be disciplined, to parent, to disciple, to show by example what it means to live like a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Begin with me, Lord. Begin with us so that our children will see the same thing. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the life-changing power of your word. Thank you that you've allowed Larry to change. Thank you that you've allowed him to ask for forgiveness from his family and from his wife, Jojo. And thank you for the new chapter in their life that they will go together in the Philippines to be able to be the kind of family that they ought to be. And I pray for this couple, oh God, that you will continue to allow them to grow and enjoy the fellowship that you have with them so that they can share this with their children. Use Larry and Jojo now this time as husband and wife, to be able to minister to their children. 
I lift up to you, Alex and Bonnet as well, Lord. Thank you for their humility. Lord, I've seen them grow. Thank you. Thank you for discipleship happening in this church, oh God. Thank you that there are men and women who are willing to invest their lives with others so that they too will learn. God, you're amazing. And so we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts, oh God. I pray that you will bless Alex and Bonnet as well as many other parents here who are struggling in their desire to be the kind of parents that they need to be. But Lord, all we need to do is to listen to your word and obey your word so that we can be the kind of parents who will make a difference in this world. Lord, we want to save our generation. Help us. By the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.